Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Sorry, a little delayed there in getting my technology on. Sometimes I'm a little um, hesitant in that because I don't think you want to hear me sing during the whole time. Andrew and the girls do a great job. Um, It's great to be with you here this morning. Thank you for uh, making it a priority of coming, even adventuring out in the weather as you have. And uh, and I know there's a lot of colds and sicknesses, and even as people are coughing, don't, uh, don't, don't feel bad about coughing or don't think that, oh, I'm such a distraction. You might be a distraction, but you're probably not going to be a distraction to me. So it's okay. Um, if you need to cough, if you need to get up, get a drink, whatever, um, we're thankful that you're here and uh, glad that you can be with us. If you have your Bibles, if you would open with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. My name is Aaron Varner. If you don't know me, if we haven't got to meet yet, I'm Aaron, and I have the wonderful privilege of being the pastor here at West Hill. Um, Lisa and I have been here since July of 1999. We started as uh, uh, on the staff. I started as youth pastor, um, and then in 2005, I got demoted to the adults, and so um, that's just a joke, really. I love you all. It's great, and... uh, uh, it has uh, been a great privilege of being um, being a part of what God is doing here, and I'm excited this morning to share with you um, from the Word of God as we dig into um, our series uh, entitled 2020 Vision Stewardship. As we look at this year, uh, we have uh, gone and walked through our first week. Uh, we looked at the, free, the Hebrew phrase. Um, don't you love that? The freebu phrase, like I'm combining Hebrew and phrase, and for those of you who don't know me, if you're visiting, I just want you to know, I don't know why God called me to be a pastor and to speak and to preach, but he has a sense of humor, and so in that, I sometimes create my own words, and so uh, thank you for um, being patient with me, and if you sense that that word is probably not in the English dictionary, um, you're probably right. And so uh, hopefully you get the intention behind those words. And ultimately, um, as we look at God's word, his word is truth. And ultimately, whatever words that I say, um, they hold no power. The power is found in the word of God. Uh, God tells us that his word is alive and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, I think my main goal this morning is to help uh, un- un- uncover some of that to, as we dig in to pull some of those truths out so that we can see them uh, in, in a way that then helps us to live them out. And so that's what I want to do this morning. Um, just let's review and then let's pray. Um, week one, uh, Lebab Shalom. Levav Shalom, it would, uh, it's a meaning, it means wholeheartedly devoted. God is looking f- for those who will be wholeheartedly devoted to him. How can we be stewards if we aren't wholeheartedly de- uh, dependent and reliant and looking to him? As stewards, uh, we, we need to view what we have been given as not 
as owners. This, what we have, I'm not the owner of it. I've, I've been called to be a steward. And so as I have my children and I raise my children, yes, God has entrusted them to me to care for, to provide, but I don't own them. God owns them. They are God's, and he has given me the wonderful privilege uh, as his steward to care for them, to nurture them, to raise them up in him, to teach them, to model, but I don't own them. Uh, in our council retreat, we, we, will, we walked through um, some different things this weekend, our leadership, and one of, one of the dear men um, who, who's new on our board um, just said this. He said, uh, he said, I hear what you all are saying, how you're trying to fix things and do things. He said, but from my perspective, it, you're preaching the word and you're teaching it and you're doing your best and you can't make people do things. And that was refreshing. It was good reminder. And ultimately, as stewards, we take too much ownership and we think we need to figure it out. We have to control it. I've got to manipulate my kids so that they'll trust in him and that they'll. No, take a deep breath, step back. We need that reminder. If I'm wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, I can trust him. And while my life may not turn out how I envision it or how I planned it, I can trust him, which led into week two. And we, we looked at those three words of faith, hope, and love. And the importance of as we are his stewards, that there is nothing that can ever separate us from his love. And because of that love and the outpouring of God, uh, his mercy and his forgiveness, uh, that we can't help but then to share that with others. Disciples making disciples. Today we're going to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to look at how Paul is commending um, some of the church in Macedonia and their acts of grace, acts of grace of giving. And so we're going to dig into this. And, um, but w before we do, would you pray with me? Would you bow your head and let's ask the Lord's guidance. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather, uh, with this group of people. Thank you for the privilege of opening your word of reading it and studying it. And I pray that your spirit would move in our minds and our hearts, draw us closer to you that we may see you and Lord help us, um, to be different and change, uh, when we leave from here because we've met with the true and living God. Lord, use my words, um, Lord, to have an impact on people, but we know the power is in your word. And so your spirit, may you use it today. And whatever is truth, may, may we cling to that. And if I say things that are contrary, Lord, may it just be like the shaft of the wheat, may it fly away, Lord. So help us to dig in, to be able to look honestly at our own lives and uh, to be honest with you and in return, then respond um, with our actions in a way that pleases you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, I'm going to talk about things that um, a lot of people don't like to talk about in church, uh, and it's money. And uh, I'm not afraid to talk about money. Um, the thing that I don't like about talking about in money is we, we come in our Western mindset um, with uh, certain ideas and thoughts uh, 
ideologies. Uh, we we think um, uh, we think church, and we we hear money. Oftentimes, we have a negative um, uh, idea, thought that comes to our mind, whether it's um, the gospel message that is shared about prospering, that if you give your heart to Jesus, he's just going to bless you and you won't ever have another financial need. That I don't believe is scriptural. I don't believe we read that in scripture. I don't think that's truth. We also see that there have been through the ages and through the years, some who have tried to prosper, uh, Basing uh, uh, part of their basis was the gospel message. So they wanted to financially prosper, and they thought the way they could do that was um, the gospel. And so they abused people, and they shared uh, of their needs and their desires while they filled their own pockets out of greed. Um, There was um, uh, a disconnect from others who had needs that needed to be fed, uh, met and fulfilled. When we look at the word today, let me just tell you, um, I, I hope, I hope that you'll look at the word of God as, as truth, and I hope that you'll hear me in the right spirit this morning, that, that as we walk through this opportunity that God gives us as his stewards to give, uh, monetarily, um, I believe with all my heart, and you're going to hear me say this at the end, I believe with all my heart that God God will provide for his church. He, he has promised that his church, Jesus Christ, that there is nothing that will stop it from moving forward. E- even Satan the pit of hell, there is nothing that will stop the church from moving forward. Now, let me say, that doesn't mean that one day West Hill won't close its doors or another church. That's a lowercase c. The uppercase c, the big church, the universal church, there is nothing that will stop it from progressing. So ultimately, that all the world will hear the gospel. That's the word that we see. God tells us to preach the word, to teach the word. So this morning, I am um, growing in my confidence in understanding as the lowercase c that, that we can trust God, and as we walk through life, we can trust him to provide financially. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about what that looks like at the end, but as we dig in, please hear my heart. I'm not asking for you to sell all of your possessions today, to give all of your money to the church so that I can go buy a plane or that I can get a big mansion or a new wardrobe or some bling bling. I'm a simple man. One day I might have an F-150. Don't judge me on that, Okay. All right? That's why I didn't include that in that first list, okay? Let's dig into the word. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's writing to the church there in Corinth. Um, 
he has been here in Corinth, um, his second missionary journey between 49 and 52 AD. He is coming on the third. He has written this letter before his third missionary journey. And so um, as we look at this, he's going to write about the churches in Macedonia. The churches in Macedonia um, were north of where Corinth was. And so in his journey um, to Corinth, he has been with them twice and he has heard and seen from um, Titus and Timothy what has transpired there in Macedonia. And so he uses them as an example, um, mainly because he has been there, he has seen it for himself, and he is there getting ready to then visit them for a third, for a second time in Corinth to come down to Corinth and visit them. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of a picture as he's writing. He's writing before he visits for a second time on his third missionary journey to Corinth. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, the church, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my own judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much has nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's walk through this. Um, first, uh, kind of a description. Uh, um, Chuck Swindoll sums up this and the next chapter um, well for us into four different categories. And, uh, and I want to share those with you. He says that the giving part of a church can be summed in these 
um, two chapters, chapter 9 as well, with these four characteristics. Number one, Christians should give generously according to and at times beyond their financial abilities. Christians give their money across racial and national lines. Number three, Christians who make content commitments should fulfill these um, with they should fulfill these promises. And number four, Christians should give cheerfully rather than under compulsion. So I want to walk back a little bit. Who was um, who were um, the churches of Macedonia giving to? Well, they were giving to the church and believers in Jerusalem. There was a great need of, of the believers in Jerusalem. They had very little, and there was a significant need of just the daily um, bread, the daily food, the daily um, things that were required for the believers in Jerusalem. Remember who makes up the people in Macedonia. Most of them are not Jewish. They are not Jews. They are Gentiles. And so in giving, they are crossing a racial um, divide where, where the churches in Macedonia are giving not because they see their own people, other Gentiles or a nation but because they see their fellow brothers and sisters who are in need, and they gave to that need. Um, he also says for us, he gives us an example of using this phrase uh, of grace, acts of grace. And in doing so, I don't want us to miss this. Um, he will say it, Paul will say it in chapter 9, um, to give generously out of uh, cheerfulness, not under compulsion. So here's my example. If I sit down with Lisa later today, my wife, and I tell her, Lisa, I just want you to know that today I am going to love you. And I'm going to do whatever it takes because God told me I have to do it. It's out of duty, and because of that duty, because God told me I had to do it, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to love you because God said I had to do it. How do you think that would go over? That would go over extremely well, right? Now, that's not to say that there are not times that I internally say I don't want to do this but I'm going to do it because I love my wife. Sometimes duty is part of love and grace. It's fulfilling the requirement that is needed. I don't like doing dishes. I don't like cleaning toilets, but there are times that that needs to happen. My wife even got a little sign about dishes. What does it say? Yeah, I love hugs, I love kisses, but what I love most is when you do the dishes. Did you get that or somebody got that for you? Yeah, her, her sister got it for her, right. <clears throat> so that's in our kitchen, so that's a reminder. What I, what, my point here 
is when we start looking at this phrase, acts of grace, uh, we're going to dig in a little bit for application, but understand what grace is and understand that as we give our money, it should not be out of duty. When we come and worship and praise God, it shouldn't be because we have to do it. Are there days that I would rather stay in bed and not come as your pastor? Yeah. I love you all. But there's some days where you're tired and you're worn out and you just, you'd rather just lay in bed or stay at home or just slow down. There are some days that duty is part of that. I remember one of our dear members, Marie Knopfsinger. She came up to me one Sunday. She pulled out a passage from Ecclesiastes. Said, Pastor. And I said, Yes, Marie. Marie was so loving and kind. She walked up to me. This is why I'm here today. I said, Okay. And she showed me and she read it to me. Okay. I said, thanks, Marie. I'm glad you're here today. Sometimes we give because it is our duty and we don't feel like doing it. But that can't be the underlying motivation of how we live our lives and how we give as his stewards. So let's break this down. And uh, I won't break down, but let's break down and, and look at this. And, and when we see... Paul writing, he is really encouraging them to excel, all right? And that's what ultimately my application for us today, to excel in acts of grace. So verse 7, he says, but as you excel in everything, and he lists a few things, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, or it could be translated um, your love for us. As you excel in these things, he says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The act of grace of giving, to excel in that. He gives the example of what that looks like in the Macedonia church. Maybe you know of people that come to your mind who display this act of grace of giving. They have excelled in that. Let me encourage you, if you know people like that, you need to talk with them and be frank with them and be open to say, how have you gotten to this point? How have you excelled? How do you, how do you, how do, you do that? The second thing that we see here, as Paul's writing in verse 8, is we see this act of grace of giving proves our love is genuine. You can say that you love something or someone, but the act of grace of giving proves that. And Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. You can say that you love God. You can say that you love West Hill. You can say that you love missions, that you want the word to travel across the globe. But let me tell you, if, if you're not giving, 
an act of grace, is your love genuine? You're missing an element. Next we see in verses 10 um, through 14, but let me stop there. This, this act of giving, Paul briefly, he puts in here in verse 9, he shows us another example. Let me tell you what love looks like, he says. Let me give you an example of what that is. And he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, why was he rich? He was in heaven. He was in glory. He was there and he left heaven and he came to earth. He was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That we could experience a relationship with God forever. That's amazing. What an act of grace. Do we deserve it? No. Do people deserve? Does the church deserve your giving? No, because the church is made up of immature and sometimes, sometimes immature and just rude people sometimes. I think the leaders of the church should be trustworthy. I don't think you should give your finances or your things just blindly. They should be orderly, but as we look at grace, grace is unmerited favor. I don't deserve God's grace, and yet he has shown it to me. So how do I live that out? Paul is saying, this proves your love for God. When you give, acts of grace, giving. The third part of this acts of grace of giving benefits both. It benefits both the giver and the receiver. We see this in verses 10 through 14. He says, in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well. So when your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You can't give unless you have it. But if you have something, you can give it, no matter how much or how less of something you have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. He's not saying, okay, somebody should be fattened up while you are over here struggling. It's a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should, should supply their need that there may be fairness so that their abundance may supply your need. Understanding that we go through cycles of life and sometimes we have much and other times we don't have much. And so in our abundance, we have an opportunity to serve as God has blessed us with acts of grace, and when we have abundance, we need to give in abundance. Because when we, if we get to that place where we have needs of abundance, needs of just fulfilling on a daily way, we hope that those who have abundance would share for us as well. Now you need to define what is needs and what are wants. We struggle with that sometimes in our North America mindset. 
let me be frank with you, we have great abundance. Great abundance. I don't think we fit in the category of those who are necessarily in great need. Do we have needs? Yeah, we all have some needs. But as I will be very judgmental in this, this is a judgmental statement looking at all of you. I don't know all of your life. I don't know all your background. I don't know all the needs that you have. But as I look, judgmental statement about my life, my family, and those who I know who are part of this church, we live with great abundance. Do you agree? So that means that we need to be giving. The fourth last part of this passage, acts of grace, of giving, begin with giving ourselves to the Lord and then to others. Go back to verse 5. Paul says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. See, the perspective was the church was giving themselves first and foremost, they understood they were God's stewards. They reported to God. They went to the Lord. They answered to the Lord. One day you will stand and you will appear before God and you will give an account for how you lived your life. We stand as children of God declared right because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so my sins are atoned for. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I will have eternal life with Jesus Christ. But I still will give an account for how I lived my life. You will give an account for how you dealt with the abundance that God has blessed us with and blessed you with. We first answer to the Lord. And as the Lord directs us and guides us, then we do what he wants. So it's not me telling you what to do. And it shouldn't be a pastor telling you what to do. It's the Lord that tells us how we are able to show acts of grace of giving. So let me ask you this. What does your acts of grace of giving look like? I believe that the New Testament shows us that there is a pattern. And this pattern in Acts 2 and Acts 4 is that the believers, the early church, brought their first gifts to the church. And out of the church, the leaders, the apostles, the disciples, they then distributed funds. That wasn't the only acts of giving, but we see that as a pattern of the first part. As we give our first, I believe, our first responsibility is get to give. And as we are part of, we've committed to a local church, our first responsibility is to give to that church. We benefit from that. We benefit from what takes place in a local church. And as I commit to that local church, I have a responsibility to first give to that out of my abundance, not over my leftovers, out of my abundance. The principle of the Old Testament tells us the first fruits. 
you have to decide between you and the Lord what that looks like. Is that 10%? Is that 20%? Is that 30%? Do you live on 10% and give 90%? I can't give 90% in my life yet. Would I love to be there? Most definitely. Do I do a good job getting to that point? No. Why? Because I like to eat. That's probably my biggest downfall. I could save a lot of money if I did less eating, especially Wendy's and Dairy Queen. That's why we're not going there today. <laughs> why? Because I want to get more money? No, because God has put it in my heart that I want to give more. And as we grow and we see the grace of God in our own lives and what he's done for us, and as we continue to walk with him and abide with him, I don't want to ever give because it's out of duty. I want to give because, man, I see what God has done for me, not only for me so I can spend eternity in heaven, but the fact that he is with me, guiding me, directing me, giving me peace, giving me comfort, giving me all that I need every single day. Isn't that amazing? That's a true and living God. That we shouldn't be putting on the shelf, but that wants and desires to walk with us. That we may enjoy his kingdom now and the kingdom to come. Too much of salvation today is about just getting to heaven. I believe, yes, believe in Jesus Christ that he would forgive you of your sin. But also believe that, that he can and is with you today. We talked about this at our council retreat. I believe that we have lessened the requirements of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I, I think it's as simple as childlike faith. Do not hear me wrong. I do not believe there are any parts of our works that will ever accomplish saving anyone. God richly, generously, mercifully pours out his forgiveness it is because of what he has done, because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that we have the hope of eternity. And when I place my faith in Jesus Christ and I trust Jesus to forgive me of my sin, at that very moment, when I place my trust in him, he becomes my savior. I am set free. I was headed to death and I'm headed to life now. I was stuck in the bondage of sin and now I've been set free. But unfortunately, that's where we stop. Because people look at it and say, well, if I'm saved for eternity, then why do I need to sacrifice? Why do I need to be a disciple of Jesus if I'm already saved for eternity? I want to live my life the way I want to live it. We cheapen God's grace. I'm guilty of it too. What do your acts of grace of giving display about your faith and your walk with Jesus Christ? I believe that we give first to the church and as the Lord leads, we give. And we should give generously. You have a missionary that God lays on your heart, give to him. You have a person, a neighbor that has a need, you give to them. 
as God lays out before us and as we walk with him, I believe we first give to the church. The church is God's living organism that he has promised he is going to display the gospel message. I believe that. He uses each one of us in relationship with other people too. And I believe that with all my heart. So God has provided all that we need. And he has provided all that we need to do ministry here at West Hill. He has done that for all the years that I've been here. 20 and a half years, we have never gone without. God is blessed. Has there been months and been times, period of times where we have struggled? Yes. Why? I always see the hand of God in that. Why do you struggle sometimes? Isn't it a purpose and isn't there a plan behind it? Because God wants you to trust him more because God has something for you to learn in those lessons. There is no doubt. So God allows struggles in our life, hardships, adversity, so that we may continue to grow in our faith and our trust. He doesn't want us as Christians, as Christ followers of his, disciples of his, he has not promised an easy road. And in fact, he has promised hardship, troubles, persecution. But we, in our American mindset, says success means that it is easy and it is most convenient and I can be comfortable. That is not discipleship of Jesus Christ. I believe that as a church, as we grow in our faith, I believe that God has and will provide everything that we need to do for the ministry that God calls us to do. And every bit of money that, God, that we need to do those ministries, I believe God will provide. And if, and if it isn't provided, then that's part of his plan. But let me tell you, the money comes from you and others. Let me tell you a story here as I close. This last year, we were um, struggling a few months into the uh, year. Um, we zeroed out last year. We had uh, a fund that helps us um, when needs, it's like a savings account. And so we zeroed out. We were in the negative last year in 2018. So we started 2019 with zero. We zeroed that out even though there was a negative. And so we went the whole year being in the negative. But that amount kept growing and growing and growing. We cut back. We cut back. We continued to try to be careful in what we were spending as a staff and as a leadership. For then 18 months, we ran in the red. We tried as a staff, as council, we prayed, we tried to come up with solutions, we tried to write letters, we tried to do everything that we felt possible to solve this problem and this issue of being in the red. Well, it just so happened that we, one month after talking about all the things that we had done and communicating, writing letters, um, talking from the pulpit, doing other things. Um, we were at a loss. And what else are we going to do? Well, we've done that. Well, we need to talk to our people. Well, if you're visiting today, 
I'm letting you inside it in a little bit of our family, okay? Um, and, and, and I hope that doesn't scare you. I hope that helps you to see who we are. In this, um, uh, I told our leadership, I said, I can't, we can't get up and talk about money every single Sunday. I said, you do that for one Sunday, visitors say, okay, that's great. You do that for two Sundays, they start scratching their head. You do that for three Sundays, and they're like, mm-mm, that church, there's something wrong. I said, we can't, we have to be careful. So after that discussion, we went the next week, and there is a letter that came in the mail. That letter was from somebody who was not part of our church. They hadn't been in any of our business meetings or any of our communication letters. It was somebody who was a part of West Hill in the past. I mean, when I say past, way past, 50 years past who was part of West Hill, they had heard, they had seen things that we continue to do in the ministry and they hear good things and God just laid it on their heart to give. We get a check in the mail for a pretty big amount, $10,000, uh, and it hits me. It hits me as a Gideon moment. It's a moment where if you, know, if you don't know the story, let me sum it up. Gideon is facing a huge army. And God has assembled Gideon, and he wants to have him assemble an army to go battle them. Last time I checked, when I go to battle, I want the most people I can get. Especially if the army over there is a million people. So you got 700,000 people over here that you're ready to go do battle with. Gideon has assembled roughly... Not so many. 200,000, let's say, in the beginning, roughly. God dwindles that down. He says, Gideon, you have too many men. Can you imagine his face? Like, what do you mean I have too many men? I don't have enough men. He says, no, you, don't have, you have too many. Go, go, go tell them, whoever wants to go home, that they can go home. I, sign me up for that. You don't want to go to battle? Okay, I won't go to battle. So half the men go. Then he's, Gideon goes back and, Lord, we're ready. What do you want us to do? No, Gideon, I'm sorry. You have too many men. Uh, I just got rid of half my army. What does this look like now? He says, you have too many men because I don't want you to take credit for it. So you take your men, go down to the stream. Whoever um, bends over, laps up the water, and, and then whoever cups it, half of them, you're going to get half of them. You just send them home. So Gideon comes back, he comes with the Lord, and he's got very few people. And he's like, Lord, what are you doing now? And God says, listen, I, we're ready for battle. He says, I don't want you to take any credit for what I'm going to do. I believe that God provided for us in October to supply the needs of West Hill to show me and to show us as a leadership that this is his church and any means that we think we can do to provide and to do and think we can make it successful are full of pride and arrogance. And I think God was showing us, trust me. Trust me. Depend upon me. We 
often side, oftentimes I go to the logical side. Okay, God gave me a head on my shoulders for a reason. I need to use it. I do believe that. How often does this side get in trouble with this side of walking by faith? I want to see it. Prove it to me. Show me. Gideon's the same man who said, okay, I'll go do that, but I'm going to throw the fleece out. I want you to make all the ground wet, keep it dry. God did it. Uh, God, I'm not so sure that was probably a fluke. Let me do this again. This time I'm going to throw the fleece out and I want you to make it all wet and then dry everything else. Gideon has his struggles. We have our struggles as we walk in faith and finances. Money is a big, huge part of how we live our lives and how we programmed in the culture that we live in. We live in abundance. I believe that God will provide and he will supply the needs at West Hill. And if everybody gave as God has called and directed us to give, I do not believe for one second that we would be without here. I don't think we would ever be in the red. But you and I were not always obedient. I'm prideful. I'm selfish. I want to do life my way. That's why I started a series on stewardship the way I started it. Levab Shalom. Wholeheartedly devoted to God. Is that you? Are you signed up? Have you placed your name on the line and said, that's me. I'm sold out for the Lord and whatever it costs. And I do that because he loves me. I can put my faith, my trust, and my love in him because he shows me mercy and grace and has forgiven me and given me a life with him forever. And now I get to display acts of grace to others, to his church as an outpouring as he leads and guides us. May that be true of us. May, may we represent the Lord well in that. I, I hope I have been able to communicate well on a touchy subject this morning about giving. Every one of you, no matter your age, if we have income, we should be giving. Because it doesn't come from us. I had a conversation once with a man. He said, I, I don't give. I'm the one who went to school. I'm the one who worked hard for that. I'm the one who did all the things that were needed in order to get the job and to have the finances that I have. How arrogant in a statement that was. Do you know that you can't do anything in the Lord unless the Lord permits it? You have what you have because God has given it to you. So don't you think for a moment that you're just smart because you worked hard enough. Should you work hard? Most definitely. If you know me, you know I'm all about working hard. I'm not saying be lazy. I'm saying we have what we have because God has given it to us. So let's give as he tells us to give. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for this morning.
feel most unworthy to preach a sermon like this. We owe you our lives. And yet there have been so many days and so many hours and so many times, Lord, where I have done what I've wanted to do. So, Lord, help me. Help us to be wholly devoted and committed to you. This isn't just some fad. This isn't just some cult. This is the truth. We believe that your word is truth. And we believe, if we believe that, Lord, that means that you've called us to be your disciples and to follow after you. Lord, you tell us that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And so, Lord, it's pretty clear to me, it shows me a good picture in my assessment of who I am and who we are gives me a picture of my heart, of our heart as individuals and as a church. I pray that you would help us to be people who would be so in tune with you, who would be walking with you, abiding in you, even in our faults, even when we fail, even when we mess up, even when we struggle and walk away, Lord, that you would draw us back. And as we walk with you, Lord, that you, in your gentleness, in your nudging, in your spirit that lives inside of us, that you would guide and direct us and we would allow your spirit to show us what to do and we would respond obediently In this act of giving, may we display acts of grace and may we see it as our motivation of giving grace because you've been so gracious to us. There's not much more to be said, Lord. I pray that our actions would reflect our words. Help us. We desperately need your help, Lord. Guide us and direct us. And Lord, I am fully confident that you will do just that. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah. Amen.